So we're in a series on what a healthy church member is. So today what we're going to do is look at Ephesians 4. And I do actually now remember this sermon. He preached a similar one a few years ago. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 16 specifically. But we're going to look at all kinds of ideas um, from the whole chapter. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much uh, for the ministry of Paul, for the word to the Ephesians, uh, Lord, for all the things that they endured, uh, from which you recorded in your word lessons for the church throughout time. We thank you for this. We thank you for opening your your home to us this morning, opening your word to us. We pray, Lord God, that you would um, cleanse us, that you would humble us, that you would comfort us, that you would convict us in exactly the way each of us needs. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name and amen. Now, the verses I'm going to look at specifically are verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. And this is what it says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, we no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, what I want to address is a lie that many of us have believed most of our Christian life. John Frame says in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, according to the teaching of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Ephesians 4, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, all spiritual gifts are given for the edification of the whole body of Christ. There is a grave lie that many of us believe that ministry is an activity done by professionals, as if the church were a bank or a dentist office, right? You go to a dentist office, clearly you know who works at the dentist office, and you go there because they are going to do work on you, and then you will go about your life. Now, many of us think that's what the church is. The church is a place, right? I'm like a spiritual dentist. <laughs> I, I give you a little cleaning. We, we repent of our sins. I make sure everything's straight, and then I send you on your merry way to do whatever it is that you do. But that's not what the church is. No church, no church in the world, no church that has ever existed could hire enough people to provide everything that a body of believers needs, let alone survive, (laughs) right? It's not that we're just talking about thriving. We're talking about surviving at this point. No church can hire enough people To do the work of ministry needed to thrive, let alone survive. And that, this is what we have to address. Now, some of you know my, I have a moderate obsession with all things nautical. And he mentioned waves in here, so I'm going to grab onto that. Anytime I can bring Nelson and uh, wooden ships into this, I will do it. And what I want you to think of as the church as a battleship. Now, back when there were wooden battleships and they went away for three years, there were 500 men on board. 500. Right? And, and whenever right, when it was time to eat, they didn't turn to the captain and expect the captain to feed everyone. Uh, when, they, when it was time to get new, when they pressed men into the service and they had new sailors, it wasn't the captain who made the clothes out of the old sails. It wasn't the captain who fired the guns when they came um, in contact with the enemy. Now, imagine a ship 
with 500 souls in which everyone expected the captain to be the one to sail the boat and feed the men and do the fighting and do everything on the boat. It would be absurd, right? What would happen? You'd see the boat blown here, there, and everywhere. It's impossible for one man. It's impossible even for one man. Say you have a captain, you have lieutenants, you have midshipmen. It's about 20 people. Even 20 people cannot arm and sail a man of war. It requires an entire crew. Now, on these boats, it's fascinating because it really was like a sailing village. You had the cook, and you had his assistant, the cook's mate, and he was the butcher. And you would have men who took care of the powder, and men who took care of the stores, and men who took care of the water, and men who took care of the sails, and men, one man who actually just took care of the ropes. And all of these men, the reason the British kicked everyone's tail end from here, there, and everywhere, all over the world, is because their ships, everyone on those ships knew when they were doing it well that Everyone's part led to the success of the ship, right? The man whose job it was to simply make sure the, the um, ropes were in good order was the reason that the ship had success against the French and the Spanish and everybody else. And they understood this one job that I have, it's just a rope. In the grand scheme of life, how important is a rope? But if those ropes don't work when you need them to, the whole ship is going to sink. And that's what I want to talk about today. We have got to consider the fact that a healthy church is a church that is a village in which everyone knows its responsibility. Everyone knows their gifting. Everyone knows what their ministry is. Because though I love the metaphor, we're not actually on the high seas sinking Frenchmen. That'd be fun, but that's not what we're doing, right? This is a metaphor. What is it, right, that, that you are called to do? What is your ministry? What is your rope? What is your task in this village that helps us succeed? What is your task on this ship that makes sure that we're sailing in the right direction and not tossed to and fro by wind and by wave? The modern church, modern Christians, think that church is a business. They think it's a social service program in which when I need something, I go there and I get it. But the biblical model of ministry is the work of God transforming people through people proclaiming God's word to one another. Okay, I'm going to say that again. The ministry, the, the biblical model of ministry, is the work of God transforming people through people proclaiming God's word to one another. Now, how are the people sitting to your left and right, behind you, in front of you, how, how are they supposed to grow up in, into the fullness of Jesus Christ? Right? It's not my job. I just want to admit to everyone, it's not Joel's job. It's not our job. Our job is to make sure you have everything you need to build one another up. To build one another up. It's all hands on deck. And this is what healthy church members understand. Healthy church members understand it's not, it's not we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It's not that. It's a battleship. It's a battleship in which everyone understands exactly what their task is. Now, given the fact that preaching is the central activity on the Lord's Day... In fact, that this is pretty much uh, the only thing that we do together. (laughs) It's easily understood that people would think the job of the ministry is mine, right? Well, here we all are together, and there's only one person who stands up and tells everybody what to do (laughs) or what not to do or what to believe or what not to believe. So all of the work of ministry must be his. But if we were meeting more regularly, if we had lots of kinds of activities going on, and I, I don't want to make it seem like there's nothing going on, but in the grand scheme of things, there's not much going on. If we had more things going on, there wouldn't be this focus on one person and this one task preaching. 
Secularization and professionalization of Christian counseling aids to this lie. Well, this person's broken. I wonder if Mike has time for them. <laughs> My question would be, well, uh, what are you doing? Right? You got a Bible. I, I mean, all I'm going to do is explain the Bible to them, and if you seem like a fairly intelligent human being. <laughs> Go to. My favorite is when spouses bring their spouse to me to fix them. That's my absolute favorite. I'm like, well, um, I'm going to counsel you who brought the spouse for a little while, and then you guys go home and counsel each other. Because being a pastor, that's really, people, even Christian counseling, I love it. But all you're really doing is teaching people, one, how to counsel themselves, (laughs) or how to counsel one another. That's all I'm doing. I'm not actually doing very much besides telling them what they need to do for themselves, what they need to do for one another. Now, Paul David Tripp, we've already heard about Paul David Tripp in the call. We're going to hear a little more from him today. He wrote, The times of formal public ministry are meant to train God's people for the personal ministry that is the lifestyle of the body of Christ. Timothy Keller, yes, Timothy Keller, I said it. He wrote this. (laughs) Every Christian should be able to give both instruction and admonition. Admonition is a common word for strong, life-changing counsel that conveys to others the teaching of the Bible. This must be done carefully, though informally, in conversations that are usually one-on-one. That is the most fundamental form of the ministry of the Word. So a church has the ministry of the Word. I, I am a minister of the Word and sacraments, if in the super Presbyterian language. That is my task, but that's not the only ministry of the Word that we should have. When you're sitting down having coffee with a friend who goes to this church or not, you should be able to give them admonition. You should be able to give them counsel. You should be able to give them the gospel. When your wife is struggling, you should be able to give her the gospel. When your children are struggling, you should be able to give them the gospel. When you meet the stressed out person on the bus, you ought to be able to give them the gospel. What is the gospel? It's that Jesus Christ died for your sins. and He is now the Lord of heaven and earth. Amen. Amen. Jot that down. Healthy church members are ministers. Healthy church members are ministers. That is what they are. If you're not a minister, you are not a healthy member of this body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not that you know this guy who wears sweet-looking ties, who's got a great beard, that he could tell them the glories of the gospel, right? That's not what you're... (laughs) Sorry, I guess this beard is amazing, right? It's not that you know a guy. You are the guy. And, And this is the thing that we all need to get into our minds. You don't know a minister. You are a minister. No church could or should employ enough people to do the ministry, as, it, as it's needed. The body of Christ does not exist because of a professional ministry. Christians are called to proclaim God's whole counsel to one another in their day-to-day lives. Tim Keller again. No church should expect that all the life transformation that comes from the word of God comes strictly through preaching. I shouldn't expect to be shaped into Christ-likeness even by listening to the best sermons. I also need other Christians around me who are handling the word of truth by encouraging me, instructing me, and counseling me. Now, there is a little trick that we do here, and I do it myself. You know, I need some biblical counseling. I'm going to turn on this Legionnaire program, and I'm going to be counseled to by this minister. And you hear all kinds of glorious, beautiful things. 
You know what he's not going to do is tell me exactly what I personally need to hear or don't want to hear. <laughs> so there is this thing in the modern church where we've got all kinds of resources, which are glorious, and we use those, we supplement those for the community of people who actually know us. Like, you know, you are not who you think you are, and it's worse than you realize. If you have a person who will tell you that, that is Christian community. When you can just turn on a TV and have some person tell you the, you know, eternal truths of the Christian faith, which is glorious, don't get me wrong, it's what they pay me to do, that's not Christian community, though. That's not enough. It's a terrible substitute. Now, what Paul teaches is that the point of formal public ministry of church officers is the informal private ministry of every believer. Again, I'm going to say this again, because this is, this is the thing here. This is what we've got to get into our bones. The point of the formal public ministry of church officers is the informal private ministry of every believer. Now, some of the gifts that the Lord bestows are various ministers, but the body is also gifted with various measures of grace as Paul asserts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there the Lord is. He's looking down on the Linwood area, the Pacific Northwest, and he says, okay, here's a little grace for you, and you, who else is going to be? Okay, that family is going to come in. Okay, so here's a little more grace for you, for them, and then here's some for you, for them. And he distributes the grace specific to the people that are sitting all around you. It's that specific. We, we think about these things, and there's some sort of like mysterious thing that exists in the clouds. But each one of you were given exactly the grace that each one of you needs from one another. You have it. What does the person sitting next to you need? You. <laughs> what do you need? Them. What does your family need? That family sitting across the aisle. What do they need? You. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You would be at a different church. And we have got, right? We like the sovereignty of God. Let's get serious then about the sovereignty of God. Now, I love, too, that he says us. Because in the section that we're talking about, in verse 13, he also says we, right? Is Paul above all of this? Does Paul think, yeah, I'm not going to go to Ephesus because those guys seem like a bunch of dirtbags. I've written them letters. I tried to straighten things out. But I don't need them. No, think, right? Think in Acts. He goes there, and he's preaching to them, and they're, they're, they're telling him not to go. They're, 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 it's iron sharpening iron, even him. If Paul isn't above this, none of us are above this. It's us. It's we, right? We have a pronoun problem. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, confirms this verse about grace and gifts. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. But this is an awful lot of things, isn't it? That, that's a lot of stuff that he's given us to use to help one another, to serve one another, to minister to one another. Christ bestows gifts upon his body for the sake of his body. Our gifting is a gift from him for each other. The church is gifted with specialized individuals who train the local church how to use those gifts. Sometimes my job is to simply help you figure out what your gift is. And that's enough. And I say, go with God. Right? That's my job. My job isn't to do all the ministry myself. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. 
What ought you be doing? What should you stop doing? <laughs> what do you need to know more of? What do you, how do you need to be equipped? How? How do each of you need to be equipped? I will help anyone who wants to f- help you figure out how to be equipped. What is it the ministry that you have, you've been called to? The word equip in verse 12 is generally used in reference to the act of mending something that is broken. In Matthew 4.21, Zebedee and his sons are mending the nets. It's the same word. Interestingly enough, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul tells them that his desire is to supply what is lacking in their faith. The word supply is a form of the same word, translated as mending, translated as equipping. And so here you have equipping and mending and supplying, and you start to add depth to this definition. We learn a little something about what it is professional ministers are supposed to do. These are all forms of the same Greek word. It means to bring someone or something to completion, perfect and adequate in every respect, and fit for its intended purpose. That is the sense of the final verses of this section. This is what the Lord wants. He wants to mend you so that you will mend one another. He wants to supply you so that you will be equipped to help one another, to love one another, to greet one another, to show hospitality to one another, and all the other mutuality commands. This is what he wants in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself itself up in love. It builds itself up. It's not waiting for somebody else to do it. It's building itself up. The body speaking words of love to one another, grows up into the head. It grows up to Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. It's reaching into heaven. It's building into heaven. It's extending itself up into heaven where Christ sits. We reach our heavenly perfection together, growing up into Christ together, the measure of holiness, equipped, joined together, working properly, building itself up in love, unity, maturity, fullness, togetherness. That is what we are called to. That is our ministry to one another. And we've been given everything we need to do that together. You are gifted with various graces and various officers whose purpose is not to get rich. Those officers' purpose is not to have titles and honor. It's not the easy, safe selfishness of a job that requires very little lifting. Uh, there's a friend of mine I knew from school. His question, quite frankly, was, uh, is that a pretty, you, you kind of like reading. Is that why you do that job? because you get to just sit inside and read all day. And it was a little hard not to be like, yeah, a little bit. Kind of. I mean, I, you know, I have to lift like 500 pages of paper sometimes. It's hard. And there are a lot of ministers where that's, that's what it's about, right? They would have owned a library anyway. You might as well have a church pay for it. But that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. It's not about us. It's about us, right? It's not about myself. It's about us together. The telos, right, the end, the aim, the purpose of apostolic instruction is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. Let's look at some of those items. Let's look at some of these items and see which ones we don't all necessarily agree about. Is there one form of baptism? Oh, no, there's several, right? Interesting. Is there one faith? There's the Calvinistic faith. The Reformed faith, there's all those others. Sorry. <laughs> right? 
we can see that we haven't yet arrived at what the purpose is. And the purpose is unity. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. And we're not there yet, are we? And so what do we need to get there? What do we need? If you're waiting for me to tell you, just to stand up here and tell everybody what it is, you're going to be waiting until you die. (laughs) It's not my job to tell you up here, everybody now, here's the thing we're going to do. Okay? Your individual graces, you have got to figure out. The individual needs around you, you have got to figure out. Coming in here every Sunday, waiting for the big aha moment, right? Well, now I've reached perfection. Now I'm holy like the Lord God. Now we have this oneness. Now we have this unity. Just preach that one sermon, Mike, that turns all the credos into pedos. That's never going to (laughs) happen. Amen, he says. Okay, credo. (laughs) Now, there is a huge tendon here, obviously. You are gifted by Christ with grace, but you are not so gifted so perfectly that you are not in need of mending or outside help yourself. That's what I love about this. You have got everything you need. You've got the the Lord Jesus Christ in his fullness, and yet you still need mending. Now, there is some tension there, isn't there? You you have everything you need, and yet you still need to be fixed. (laughs) Welcome to the Christian faith. I remember when I figured out this one already not yet aspect of the church, and I thought, why didn't someone tell me that before I started? <laughs> like, why when I got baptized didn't you say, I thought I was just going to be perfect now? I thought I was marrying a woman who was perfect. Because I'll tell you that, right? Marriage, marriage itself. I remember, I remember the first time I was wise enough in the Christian faith to realize my wife had sinned, because she is pretty good. But I was like, oh my goodness, you still sin. Holy moly. <laughs> Did your pastor know? <laughs> right? We are not finished. We have everything we need to be finished, to finish, to be finished, to be complete, to be whole. But it's a process that we're working through. Even as we receive it all, the receiving of it requires change, requires adaption, requires us to admit that we're not perfect, to admit that there are more sins, deeper sins, darker sins, and to bring those to the light and become more and more and more like the head. And that is what we are all working together to do. You can't say, I am so graced and gifted that I need no apostolic authority. I don't need preachers. I don't need books. I don't need sermons. I don't need all that stuff. I don't need people telling me what the gospel is. I know it. That is not the case. You need outside help. You need mending. You need to be fixed. You need human teachers of the Bible. You are vital to the fullness of Christ's body and given grace to that end, but it is a training grace, a salvific and yet operative grace. Okay? Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. This is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Partially why I named my son Titus was this verse all by itself. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in present age. Now, I'm going to go back and read that again because you miss, you miss it if you go too quickly, especially because they put that verse number there at the beginning of 12. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Well, if you, if you look at it, what's doing the training? What's training you? The same grace that appeared, bringing salvation, is also the grace that is training you. It's, you're not done yet. The grace was given you, you have salvation. Boom. Okay, we're not talking about works righteousness anymore then. This is what I love. Paul's very clear. We're not talking about works righteousness now because the grace saved you. Now, the grace is also training you. Training is regimented. Training is practice. Training involves coaches. Training is improving. It's strengthening. It's increasing in endurance, developing skill, progressively growing in understanding and ability. Imagine an NFL team with no coach. What would it look like? Right? A bunch of prima donnas running around out there. What would a shot putter be without an instructor? A boxer without a trainer? The various offices of the church, graciously provided to all of you, are the nutritionists. They are the strength coaches. They are the instructors. They are the coaches of your grace training. And the purpose is that you would go out then, what? And grow up to the fullness of Christ. You would be trained by grace to go out and do the work of ministry. The word for train is the present and active form of the word pedea. Now, pedea, I've done sermons just on this word. It's a huge word. It's that all-encompassing worldview education. It's instruction in Christ's lordship in every area of life. That is the meaning of the word. And that's what you're, right? The grace is instructing you. It's shaping and molding you, not just parts of you, not compartmentalized portions of you, but the whole man. The Greeks used it to refer to more than academic education. It means the training up of the entire and the complete person. Fathers are commanded to raise their children in the fear and pideia of the Lord, and our Lord is raising us in the pideia of himself. That's what this means. He gives us grace that saves us. He gives us grace that makes us his children, and that same exact grace is grace that's training us how to be his body, how to be his people, how to be a holy nation, a priesthood. His grace has equipped you with salvation. His grace instructs you in renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions so that you can live upright, godly lives in the present age. Now, if you went and lived in the woods by yourself in a cabin, you would find it very easy. You would have no friction with people, right? You would have none, right? You'd have maybe a friction with the owl that's noisy at 3 a.m., but you would have no friction with people. Now, what kind of person after 30 years would you be living all alone in the woods with no other people? Would you, would you have been trained for grace? Right? <laughs> think. think. I, when, when I get my own way for too long, it's just me making my own decisions, and then suddenly somebody comes in and wants to do something in my little environment that's different than the way I like it. How am I going to react? That's not how I make coffee. That's not how I fold my clothes. Right? Imagine some person living in the woods who then suddenly gets a roommate. Well, that's not how we cook flapjacks. What are you doing? <laughs> And, the, and you see, oh, well, you have clearly not been trained in grace, right? You're not, you're very ungracious. The only way that this training works, the kind of grace that, that poured out of heaven to save us, the only way that it trains us is in the community of believers. That's, that's the only way. It, it, it's not a solo job. God has always worked through his children to train up his children, Always. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That requires two people, doesn't it? 
Now, you could try reading it out loud to yourself, but that's not exactly what Paul means. It doesn't work the same way. You need to hear, and therefore you need someone else reading it to you. And this is what it looks like. Nehemiah, right? Now we're a priesthood of believers. We're all Levites now. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7 through 8, it says, The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's your job now. Your job is to be Levites who read the word of God, the law of Moses, the the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another and explains it. That's your job. Are you doing that? When's the last time you read the Bible to another Christian? Out loud. When's the last time you had Bible verses memorized and you thought, you know what you you need right now is this. Here's the verse. You know what it means? This is what it means. When is the last time you did that? Now, you sat here week after week and had it done to you, but the point of that was to go out and do likewise. Douglas Wilson expounds on this idea. This is what he says. The teaching of Scripture on this point is very clear. God requires uninspired teachers to exposit his word and apply it to the lives of God's people. The Bible does not say that worship services should consist of Scripture reading only with no interpretive voice inflections. On the contrary, the Bible tells us that we are to receive much of our religious instruction from uninspired sources. Parents, in Deuteronomy 6. Husbands, in Ephesians 5. Elders, in Hebrews 13. Fellow Christians, Hebrews 10. And if some of the believers are tempted to give too much wide-eyed credence to their fallible teachers, then their teachers should warn them about that, just as they warn them of all their other sins. And because all human teachers are fallible, it is very important for them to stick as close as they, uh, to the text as they are able. Those who refuse to listen to such teachers and who refuse to read books by them may do so in the name of honoring Scripture, but they are really kicking against the requirement of Scripture. They say, in effect, that the Bible should be honored so long it is, as it is kept barren and produces no teachers and no books. And incidentally, it must also be remembered that although they maintain that they sit at the feet of no man— There is at least one kind of human teaching that they do think quite highly of, and that is whatever is forged in their own minds. Right? You're going to have human teachers one or the other. Would you rather it be yourself, or would you rather it be a bunch of people reading the scriptures, progressing in sanctification, working this stuff out together? Or would you like me to just give you a Bible, and you go into a a quiet room, and you figure it all out yourself? You Right? That's... That's how wackos are formed. <laughs> this is, I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the best advice I was ever given by another was stop reading the Bible. He's like, you're just, you, you have stopped sitting at home and reading Deuteronomy through in one go because I was doing that. It's like, it's Saturday, it's summertime, go play softball or something. Like, get some friends, you weirdo. And I was like, thank you. I am going to go outside. That sounds nice. Because you can tell when people spend too much time alone with the Bible, they become weird. They become weird. Now, the Bible loved and expressed boldly the whole counsel of God in a community where you have some friction, where you have some, yeah, but. Now, that, that's when you start to get people who aren't weirdos. You get to be people who are mature, people who are gracious, people who can listen, people who can defend something. That's when you get somebody who's growing up to maturity in Christ. The age in which we live, we cannot handle listening to contrary views. 
We like echo chambers. We like theological echo chambers. We like social uh, echo chambers. We like political echo chambers. I don't want to hear anything about why you think Biden is a good candidate. I don't want to hear it. Because you can possibly have a good reason. Now, you, you work from that to 1,000, 100,000 other things, and it's amazing to me how we are incapable of listening to other people. But we do that out in the world because we do it here. Have you ever sat down with a credo-baptist or a pedo-baptist, depending on your position, and actually heard what it is? Have you ever sat down? <laughs> I think uh, pastors should wear collars. The elders of this church have made it very clear I'll never be allowed to do that. Fine, I can handle that. But has anyone ever, have I ever explained why? Because we hear these ideas and you're like, oh man, okay, well, that's something that that guy just said, right? If we hear ideas at all that we express. Have you ever been sitting in one of the book studies we lead and, you, and someone's talking and you think, oh, weird. <laughs> Did you ever pursue that idea with that person? No, we like, we like what we like and we don't like anything else. We're incapable of, of talking to the world about ideas because we're in, incapable of talking to one another about ideas. Well, I don't want any, right? I don't want controversy. I don't want conflict. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. When Paul went to Peter and said, uh, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't, you're, you're preaching a false gospel because of the people you won't eat with, right? Why, why did he do that? Because he loved Peter, Right? Because you love the gospel, right? Now, is there, right? would you dare go up to anybody in this church and say, let's talk about this, this, this doctrine that you have? Well, first off, you'd have to find out what their doctrines are. <laughs> Take them out to lunch. Let them talk. You'll hear some. You'll hear some good ones and you'll hear some bad ones. I've determined everybody is a little bit of a heretic. Over time, you find out this is true. <laughs> talk to one another. Debate with one another. Right? What, how are you going to convince a Marxist not to be a Marxist if you can't even discuss baptism with one another and convince them not to be Kratos? Anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> a healthy church member is devoted, devoted to the teaching of the local church, its ministers, and its members. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, collectively, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's it. That's, that's, that's a healthy church right there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would be this, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Get together, eat some food, talk about the apostles' teaching, and pray. That, that's it. Anybody want to program? The apostles done did it. In the second chapter of Acts, they're like, before we move on to other things complicated things. Let's just make it very clear what a church is. It's a group of people devoted to the apostles' teaching to Jesus Christ, who get together, who eat, who have fellowship, and pray together. Now, that's, that's it. That's the program. We, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm going to take a big swing at my own folks here, my folks sitting in the choir, right? The people that just love, like, yeah, man, gather together. Take that, you COVID fearful people. This is my question. All during all of that, 
so many Christians that I know in our circles were like, yeah, we met together. Ha! Okay, but um, it, it's not like you were stirring one another up to love. It's, it's not like the whole time you were just talking about good works. Right? There is a fellowship that you can have where you're resisting tyrants, where you're, what, what you're actually doing is spreading hate. Now, if you're going to gather because what you want to do is gather because you're told not to, stay home. Stay home. Now, if you want to gather no matter what, because what you want to do is stir one another up to love and good works, please come. No matter what comes in the, in the next six months, it's going to get interesting. No matter what comes, if you want to continue to stir one another up to love and good works, please keep coming. If it's simply about defiance, stay home. Healthy church members hold fast to the confession. They stir one another up to love and good works the way the Lord defines both. They pray together. They exhort one another. They bear one another's burdens. They show hospitality to one another. They admonish one another and comfort one another. When you have these things, you have the head, Jesus Christ. If you don't have them, you don't have him. If you don't have one another the way that you are supposed to, if you don't have the body of Christ the way that you are supposed to, you do not have the head. This is, this is um, a heresy in the modern church. You, there are no individuals in Jesus. It starts with individuals who become a people. That's it. That, that's, and if you don't have his people, you don't have him. If you, if you want him, you have to take his people. There's no way around it. The body is graciously given to you because of the mutuality commands. He says, you want to go in love, this is what requires. And it's all these one another's. It's not just you yourself. It, there's, it's, there's always another person involved. There's no hospitality unless there's guests. There's no greeting one another unless there's someone there to greet. There's no admonishing somebody if there's not someone there to listen. You can't do it by yourself. And this whole modern nonsense about me, my Bible, and Jesus has got to die hard. Right? May the Lord strike it dead. This whole idea. If you want him, you, you have to come in here with us. <laughs> he met some people up on a mountaintop, but there is a mountain in which he meets people every week, and it's here because that, right? This is the new, we're, we're worshiping in spirit and truth. We are on the mountaintop with now. You can go up to Mount Rainier, and in one sense, he's there. But you're right. Oh, I just need to go out and be in nature and be with God. Well, he's not there in the same way that he's here. If you struggle to understand what that means, it's all in here. It's in Hebrews. Read it. Right? Get together and study it together. Right? I'm sure there's some other people who don't understand it. You're not in a strip mall in Linwood right now. You're in the king's throne room worshiping him together. You can't have him without them, and without them, you don't have him. Make that into a T-shirt. And this is, um, this is about more than simply being here, right? You, you know, Adam hid behind a tree in the garden. Sometimes the people of God is a good place to hide. It's, it's, it's about more than a 45 to 65-minute session where I'm just talking to you for 65 minutes. I'm sorry about that sometimes. I try to keep it closer to 45. Okay, what we're talking about is a culture. What we're talking about is a people. What we're, we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about a people. Paul says we in verse 13. This is us. And what we need to repent of is apathy to the ministry that God has called us to, each one of us. Charles Dickens, Charles Dickens, yes, Charles Dickens, 
He wrote this, one of the greatest quotes of all time in all literature, even though I don't even like Charles Dickens. There is a Sunday conscience as well as a Sunday coat, and those who make religion a secondary concern put the coat and the conscience carefully by to put on only once a week. Now, are you that kind of person? Is your Christianity as shallow as the nice clothes you're wearing right now? You put them on once a week, you go do the church thing, and you go home, and you just live. Your life, the way you want to do it, keeping everyone at arm's length. We are called to put on divine dress that we wear longer than a single day a week. We are instead called to minister for one another with Christ's word of power. Right? We are supposed to be clothed with Christ. Colossians 3, 14 through 17. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, does that sound like a coat you put on once a week? Does that, does that sound like a, a mindset you put on once a week? Or does that sound like a way of life? And notice the pronouns. We need to be mended and equipped. Formal ministry is intended to supply the saints and to supply them as ministers. You are ministered to so that you can minister. Just as you forgive as you have been forgiven, just as you love as you have been loved, you minister as you have been ministered to. You build up to unity and fullness and maturity as you are being built up in these things. You mend as you have been mended. Now, there is another tension here an extension, really, of the first one that I mentioned. In Paul's teaching, it's summed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, God's building. Now think about that for a moment. You are the building of God, and yet you're his fellow workers. Now, are the professional ministers his fellow workers? Yeah, they are, too, but they're not the only ones, right? You are fellow workers. You are the building. By God's grace, we are converted into, into workers alongside of him. We, who are God's work of redemption, his body, his assembly, his temple, his building, are working alongside him, even as we are worked on, so that we might build the temple of the Lord. The church is often compared to a temple, but it is a temple that is in the course of being constructed. It's not finished. It's being built. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2, you read this in verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? You're being built into a building in which you are also fellow workers. You're doing the work. That's what you're called to. You're not just a brick on the side of the road that the Lord Jesus went and found and said, oh, I think I can make something of this. And he carries it back and he puts on some, whatever that is you put between bricks. Sorry. <laughs> I don't go outside much, right? I think we covered that part. <laughs> Mortar, thank you. And he puts the brick there and he goes, look, look at my work. 
And then you're just like, man, this is a nice spot. This is cool. I'm just going to sit here. No, it's, more, it's organic than that. It's, the metaphors break down. You are the temple of the Lord. You're being built as the temple of the Lord. But imagine like your like you're, you're linked arms like this, and you're like, that makes the wall. And you have a trowel in one hand and bricks in the other, and you're like working together to make the building. You're working on it even as you're being right, worked into it. Stop waiting for Christ. Stop waiting for your ministers to build it. Take up your trowel, but also take up your sword. And this is an important lesson, especially for the days in which we are living now. <laughs> this is like the CREC, our denominational battle cry here. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. God is doing the work through you. Okay? You're not wielding a scalpel on one another. You are the scalpel. You're not wielding a trowel. You are the trowel. But it's important, especially in this age in which we live, what happened to us, we are defending what we're building as we're building it. You, you can't build it and leave it defenseless. Okay? We're also not just a static wall that's defending something. We're being built and we're defending it at the same time. This is what I'm saying. There are parts in the Gospels where Jesus, he, he is just like this in Nehemiah. He's building something, and even as he's building it, he's defending it. His ministry was very complex. It's not just Calvary. That was not his only stratagem. He built something, and as he was building it, he was defending it, and that is what he's called all of us to do, to join him in that work. Stop waiting for somebody else to do it. You've been gifted with various graces, seeds that God is cultivating for a harvest of grace. We receive the gifts of the word of God, treasuring in our hearts all that we have received, and from that treasury of heart our mouth speaks, building up the structure of which we have been saved into the temple of the Lord himself. 1 Corinthians 14.26, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Jude, chapter 20, verse 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, this is what I... Do you want, do you want to preach the gospel to some unbelievers? Do you want to reach the lost? Do you want to attack doubt? Do you want to attack fear? Do you want to attack unbelief? You don't have to leave the building to do it. You don't have to leave the building to do it. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know there are people sitting here in this room who are doubting. There are people in this room who are wavering on unbelief. Don't let your conscience be troubled by the fact that we don't go door to door out there. Be troubled by the fact that you don't go door-to-door -door in here. You want to go door-to-door? -door? You don't have to go... Right? Don't, don't wander around the neighborhood here looking for strangers. Go door-to-door -door in the... Amongst, right? We have a directory. You know everyone's address. 
We need one another as a lighthouse of truth. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction, and the stormy sea is likely to get, to get us off course. It's going to snatch some of us from the side of the ship. There will be those who are lost overboard. Doubts and fears and delectable temptations of the flesh all threaten to drive us under the shoals of faith. We need a safe port to resupply and to refit. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's right there in the people of God. Remember when Jesus went to the synagogue and the first time he cast out a demon, it was a person who was a member of the synagogue? Do you think things have changed? Do you think it's any different? Think about what you have to do in Judaism in order to become a member of a synagogue, for goodness sakes, and that's where he finds the first demon. If you want to build the kingdom of God, if you want to drive out darkness, if you want to deal with unbelief and fear and troubled consciences, look left and right, forward and back. Look around. Here we are. Here we are. Tossed to and fro upon the sea, right? A boat can't sail when it's pointed in two directions at once. Neither can a man aimed at self arrive at Christ's likeness. Godward is the direction that all of our individual ships need to sail, and it's the direction our ship needs to sail. Most of us, most of the time, sail our ships, weaving here and there, everywhere like a solo sailing cabin boy who's gotten into the rum. Right? If you look around, some of these lives, you're like, man, who is sailing that ship? Banshees? You can hear it. Who is sailing that ship? A drunk cabin boy? Like, you can look around. There are some people who are, whose ships are like, where are they going with this thing here? What is this happening? Our own ship. Think of all the churches, right, who the waves came, and that ship, the ships out there, all these other churches out there are tottering. They're wandering aimlessly. They're like, is anybody manning that thing? And they're so distracted by their aimlessness that the French come up and blast them to smithereens. This is a metaphor. Think about what I'm saying. There are lots of churches that are sunk, burned, and taken a prize at this point. And the rest of us are like, man, I sure hope those guys do something about that. It's your job. Right? You can come to the aid of another ship when your ship is sailing in the right direction. It, it can't otherwise. A boat can't sail when it's pointed in two directions at once. Neither can a man aimed at self arrive at Christ's likeness. Godward is the direction our ship must sail. It takes a whole crew. A ship needs a navigator, a master sailor, a captain, a purser, a gunner, a sailmaker, a physician, lieutenants, sailors, and mates to assist all of them. This is how a 500-person frigate would make it for three years out on the open seas. And you are a frigate that needs more crew members. We need more hands at the sails. We need more people navigating. We need more people cooking. We need more people make, like fixing the sails. It's all hands on deck. This is what a healthy church is. This is what healthy church members are. We need a firm hand on the wheel. We need charts. We need orders. We need supplies. We need wind. We need hands to brace the mainsail. We need cooks, and we need powder monkeys. That's a good one. If you don't know what that is, look that up on, on the Internet. It's pretty funny. We need one another. We need the love of God fit for sinners. We need the love of God fit for wanderers because we are sinners and we are wanderers. This whole time, he's not talking about the world. The ships that are immature, that are wandering to and fro because of the winds of doctrine that are stormy, are Christians. 
do you want to build the kingdom of God? Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. Here we are. Here's all the bricks you need to make a temple in Linwood. Do you want to make a temple in Linwood? That's actually the question. Do you want somebody else to do it? Right? I just need to find a church where they've already built the kind of church I want, that looks the right way, that sings the right things, that does the right stuff, that has the right programs. For most of you, you already know this. Some of you don't. We are not a program church. We don't do programs. I'm sorry. We never will, as long as I'm here. <laughs> right? So you're never, don't wait for Joel and I to send out the email for the program. Don't, right? Stop waiting for Ann or Laura or somebody else to send out the need email. Find the needs. This is, now I'm going to give you some very practical things here, things that I've participated in over the years. Right? Because I, I've, been part, I've been there with little tiny kids, three of them under the age of three. On our third wedding anniversary, we had our third kid, and my wife and I thought maybe we should slow down. And we were like, what are we doing? So we got actually some DVDs about parenting because we don't know everything, and we invited people over, and we sat down, and we watched them together. Because we were not alone. <laughs> we're not alone, wandering around in the ocean, sounding like banshees are running the ship. What are the needs, right? How about you have a prayer meeting in your house once a week and you invite Christians no matter what church they go to? Now, this is partially why I think we don't do things like this. You're waiting for me to do something. You're waiting for Joel to do something. Don't wait for us to do the book study. Don't wait for us to do the Bible study. Don't wait for us to do the prayer meeting, right? Now, in one sense, right, we're used to a top-down thing. We don't want disorder, (laughs) right? If I find out there's a lady in the church and she's, leading a study on Romans, I, I might show up, right? We, we don't want unbiblical things. We don't want disorder. But, but don't wait for me to do it. Don't wait for me to organize it. Don't wait for me to plan it. You all have everything you need to minister to one another. What are you waiting for? What's getting in your way? Distance? Yeah, are you, I mean, you're going to be tired anyway, so why not be tired after some fellowship? In a weird way, you will be less tired in a sense. There's an ACCS school in the neighborhood. It's called Providence. You know what you could do is pick a teacher. The names are actually on the website. You don't even need to tell anyone you're doing it. You just pick a teacher and you send them cards, right? You can support Christian ministries that aren't even things that Redeemer are doing. If you call the headmaster, he'll even tell you their birthday. And, and I, I worked there, and I'll tell you this. When I, when I would get gifts like that, like somebody just wrote me a card telling me I was doing a great job, thank you for the ministry, here's something, go out and get yourself a bottle of whiskey. They clearly knew who, who I was. <laughs> that, it changed things. When, when I am exhausted and I, and, and I have, go over to somebody's house and we sing a song together and we fellowship together and we have time together and I hear the gospel and, and I experience the gospel in their home, it's life-changing. That's, right? We all need it. You need it. I need it. Everyone in this room needs it. What are we waiting for? If you're waiting for me, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because <laughs> I'm dealing with one little fire at a time. <laughs> I'm dealing with like, well, we've got to just correct the boat, go this direction and this direction a little bit at a time. I sure hope everybody down below is doing what they're supposed to. And, and it's, that's the prayer. And I don't know. Why don't you go find out if everybody down below is doing what they're supposed to? We are the people of God. We are his body. We have him because we have one another. What is your ministry? What is it? 
It's not just attending church. You have one another, right? That's a question. You have one another, right? Why not? Do you want a ministry? What is your gifting? Who's in need? Who's doing it well that you can encourage in the right direction? Because it's not as if everybody in here, right? It's just a bunch of sad cases. There are great cases. When's the last time you told some, a mom who was doing it well that she was doing it well? Don't let the young parents in this church wait until the kids move out before they go on a date together. I could go on and on and on. Apparently, I do have a few ideas. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but if, if you sat down, if you sat down in groups, you sat down with your spouse, you sat down as a family, I think you could, could come up with some pretty quickly. Now, let's do that. Let's be that church. Now, not only what kind of church would we have here together, but what kind of church would we be in the Pacific Northwest? Would we, would we not only be right, shaping and molding us into Christ-likeness, think of the effect that we could have, because there really are other churches, faithful churches, breaking the news to some of you. There are other faithful churches in the Pacific Northwest. There are other Christians doing good things. There are other believers who we could be working with. But first, we've got to learn how to work together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus did not consider godliness something to be passed, but came and humbled himself and, and lived the Christian life perfectly, Lord, as an example to us. He didn't do it alone. He, Lord, the Lord God, the Lord Jesus, relied on others. Let us also rely on one another. Let us love one another as we've been loved, forgive one another as we've been forgiven, and mend one another as we've been mended. We thank you and praise you in the name of your Son and amen.